Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show about life's inflection points hosted by me, Asha Saluja. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. Today in the studio with me on this very windy Bushwick day, I have a guest who, uh, so I've, I've taken a mini hiatus from the show almost accidentally, haven't been in the studio for a few weeks now, and the person I have uh, sitting in front of me today is Mr. Billy Crosby, a fellow RFB host, and he's kind of just the most welcoming and comforting presence I could choose to ease me back into Bushwick Junction. Say hi, Billy. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How you doing? I'm doing all right. A little windy out there, but you know, not too, nothing to complain about. That's that attitude right there. <laughs> so Billy is the host of two shows on RFB, a true overachiever in our in our host community. He hosts Cosmic Debris, which is tonight Sunday night at 11 p.m., and the Attitude Adjustment Adjustment Show, uh, which is Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Do you want to just tell us really quick? about each of your shows and their themes and why everyone should tune in. Yeah, Attitude Adjustment Show on Thursday morning was kind of a interesting thing. Uh, daytime and nighttime, two different animals. So uh, I always think about uh, what would I be doing at 11 o'clock in the morning if I was listening to the radio and probably most likely cleaning. So I think those are good for if you're cleaning your house or the kids are finally gone to school or you just go, oh, I need an hour to myself. I kind of do that, keep it kind of uh, up-tempo like that. And Cosmic Debris, kind of a little darker, a little slower. We get a little more, uh, I knew I was going to, I was going to try to avoid saying the word cosmic, but that's what happens. So I we mean, it's more. well named, huh? <laughs> um, I love the idea of the attitude adjustment, adjustment show. I love like 
service oriented media that like you tune in at the beginning and you're one way and then by the end you're a yeah. different way so the yeah. way you've described the attitude adjustment ad- <laughs> I, can't, I can't say this word yeah, it, took, it took me three weeks <laughs> um, the way you describe this show as something that leaves you in a different place by mm. the end of it I love so the first question on Bushwick Junction is tell me about the circumstances into which you were born well I'm a a but uh, one of those rare animals called a native. I'm from Brooklyn. I was born in Kings County Hospital, which uh, I'm told, and I'm glad I wasn't uh, told this early, but told many years afterwards was a, uh, a kind of a mental institution. Huh. And I thought, well, that actually explains a lot of stuff, actually. So, so it's pretty cool. I, you know, I'm not really sure what the neighborhood was, but I'm, I'm thinking Crown Heights, Brownsville, like that. Because I always, I always forget because um, usually just telling people you're from Brooklyn is enough. Right. You don't need to go into too much detail. Exactly. Um, what was your early childhood in Brooklyn like? It was it was kind of boring, actually. I yeah. spent a lot of time uh, staring out the window, hmm. you know, uh, which uh, has become one of my favorite things to do now, actually, oddly <laughs> enough. You know, where you can't figure out anything. I just got to stare outside and see if something pops into my head. You know, and uh, that's always good. And it's good. Uh, I think if you're going to do that, it's good to have a cat. To stare out the window with? Yes. Yeah. And the cat will go back and forth and sometimes will sit there with you and will sometimes go to another room and meow, which means get out of the window now. You have a job <laughs> to do right now. And uh, you go that for And, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So my early, my early trial is just staring out the window onto like uh, this empty Brooklyn street and just seeing people pass by it was I just thought, man, I hope life is not going to be like this. <laughs> That's so funny because so many kids stare out of their windows onto empty suburban streets mm. and think like, wow, one day my life will be exciting and I'll live in New York City. And yeah, I think we all we all just want what's different from our early earliest windows. Exactly. What do you think cats are thinking about when they stare out the window? Cats like, uh, I wish the guy would show me how to open these cans so I wouldn't <laughs> have to have any use for him anymore, ever. They're like planning their escape. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, cats are mean, man. They, you know, they're, they're all, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm positive if they could figure out a way to eat without us that they, we'd all be gone right now. Yeah. They'd get us all off the planet. Yeah. I know they eat would. Us. Of course they would. Yeah. While we were sleeping. And when we woke up to find them eating us, you know what? They, they would not even budge. <laughs> <laughs> that, that took a turn. So tell yeah. me about the first big decision you ever made. Uh, the, the first, um, the first decision that I, I think I ever made was probably not until, not until I got into, uh, into college. I mean, I kind of, um, kind of just uh, moped along for a while. I mean, I always liked music and books and art and stuff like that. So I kind of created my own little world with that. I didn't really care about anything else or despite the fact that I have brothers and sisters, you know, and you know, this is, uh, not a slag on them, but you know, I was kind of like, yeah, you guys, whatever. And that's what you a were lot the of- brooding artsy sibling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that was. And I kind of decided that this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be like. I'm just going to be this sad person all the time. And thought, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I'll just be like that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like a horrible. Is that the decision that we're talking about? That your self-definition of being sad? Yeah, I just thought I'm just I'm just sad. And I thought wow. that for a long time. I just thought 
you know, because everybody else seemed to be living lives and, and being popular or doing things or having things happen to them. And I was just kind of like in a book somewhere or drawing on a piece of paper or listening to music or something. And, um, I mean, I had no idea that to get into life, you have to engage with other people (laughs) and nobody really pushed me to do it. So I didn't, I just kind of kept to myself for a while. Do you feel like you had something to be sad about or was it just this lack of engagement with life that made you kind of flatline? I I think, I think, uh, I think it was the the, the fact that, uh, that there was no kind of push going on Hmm. to say, Hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? I mean, I did a lot of, I tried a lot of things like you do when you're a kid, uh, joined the baseball team and all of that stuff. And, uh, I was really good at it, but I just found myself like, eh, this is horrible. So the only things that were calling your name were solitude and books and art and music. I mean, I didn't even like books until, uh, until, um, junior high school when, um, we had a report due on a book. Like I didn't really, I didn't read it about it or anything. And, uh, the book was, uh, Great Expectations by Charles wow. Dickens. And, uh, we had a test on it and I spent the whole two weeks not even thinking about it. And I, the night before the test, I sat down and read the entire book and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Wow. This is so great. I wrote a bigger uh, paper on it than they asked for. Huh. <laughs> so it was Dickens that got you into books. That's, that's how that started. What got you into music? Music was, uh, my, my parents used to play all these uh, vocalists around the house, you know, Nat King Cole and, and all that stuff around the house. And I thought, yeah, this is pretty cool, but, you know, it's what it is. Hmm. And I didn't like
Hello, hello, hello. Oh, yeah, it sounds horrible. Hello, hello. You press call the next time. I'll make sure that they find it. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think so. You want to check in the room? Yeah, let's just check in. Uh, all three, one, two, and three. Check, check. One, two. Bring up mic two a little bit more. One, two, three, four. That sounds okay. Yep, sounds good. <laughs> you sound terrible. Yeah, stop talking. Uh, Stress me out. This is mic three. It sounds <laughs> fine. Sounds perfect. <laughs> this is mic four. It also sounds fine. Yeah. Checking mic one. <laughs> God. Okay, and we're sure we we did the... Okay. Hey, my name is Anthony. I am sitting here testing a microphone, microphone number one. Sounds like garbage. Don't know if it's the compressor, or the cables, or the settings. We don't think it's the cables. It's starting to look like it's probably not the settings. And... We think we've narrowed it to the processing. Yep, uh, so as I said, we're taking everything down to the processing, uh, and and uh, we're trying to see if we can find the problem. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, I don't hear anything. You can hear me? I can't hear me, so I'll just keep talking, though, no matter what, because that's sometimes what you got to do. We just got to keep talking. No matter what. Never stop talking. That's my motto, guys. Uh, I'm a talker, not a 
not a rocker. As you can tell, because I have a, a talk show and not a music show. So, when in doubt, talk it out, guys. So that's a message we need to send to our president as well to all sorts of fucking crazy fuckers. And what I want to do is I just want to very quickly call those about right because they're all different kinds of activities that are selling. So same thing. You probably, you probably just take that. Well, no, yeah, just split them, split them, swap them for now. Hello, hello, hello. This sounds much better. Okay, hello. So this is an old Dean, and we're testing mic. Sounds much better on Radio Free Brooklyn uh, Sunday afternoon. It is. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. Uh, we just had a meeting. Talked about a lot of things. Uh, talked about the new teen program. Talked about podcast boot camp. Talked about live shows. Or it could go like this. Okay, I forget about Uh huh. Hello, my name is Noel, and I am eating a sandwich. Mmm, chicken. Mm. Uh, so, b- back to talking. Uh, I did have, not a sandwich per se, but a wrap. Uh, when I got there, it was a chicken club wrap. It had lettuce, it had onion, it had bacon, it had turkey, uh, and tomato and avocado, some mayo, a little bit of mustard, pretty good. Had, uh, which I'd never had before. I had Bloody Mary chips, uh, and they were like spicy, huh? Mm, mm, they were good. I didn't like this. Uh, and they were kind of like spicy barbecue. Uh, I, I'll give a big thumbs up on Bloody Mary chips. Something I didn't think I'd be saying today, but I am. And so, the snake said to me, Hey, sexy. How's about it? She sells, she sells by the seashore. She does. She sells them. She sells me some more. So... Saturday, Sunday, she sells, she sells, she sells, she sells by the seashore. 
Uh, so Saturday, Sunday, she sells seashells by the seashore. See, she sells she seashells by the seashore Saturdays and Sundays. Saturday, Sunday. So that's what we say about everything these days. I was at a meetings. All the managers were theirs. We uh, talks about the teens programs. We talks about the podcast programs. She talks about uh, studio issues, Saturday and Sunday studio issues. She she sells seashells by the seashore Saturdays Sundays on Radio's Free Brooklyn's. <laughs> uh huh. There's a deesser. Really? Is there a p? A plosive? Just the foam, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And bring everything down. I don't need you, you don't need to date yourself exactly but what <laughs> were you spinning in your college years like what was everyone excited oh about and what were you excited oh about? my god I, I um initially I was I was playing you know like Motown and stuff because that's what I knew mm-hmm. you know and then I started listening to a lot of radio stations a lot of FM radio stations and listening to what they would play and would track track it down in the uh in the school library and uh and then so then it, it became i went through a phase from um 50s rock and roll to uh my worst period was when i was listening to yes and emerson lake and palmer <laughs> and and uh renaissance and uh, just all the uh, jethro Tull. this like cheesy rock. Yeah, it was just yeah. like the worst music ever you know but i just thought it was so great you know because uh the guys that I listened to were playing it. So I yeah. thought I'm product of your time. Yeah, so that's it. And, and I, it got, and then it got, I mean, then it got weird. Then it got weird. I started, um, I, I met this woman who did the, the night shift and I would listen to her show and she was just playing all this otherworldly stuff. Like she was playing world music and jazz and all. And I thought, wow, this is even better. Hmm. This is better. You know, so I started doing that. I started deliberately crossing lines, you know, going from um, Jethro Tull to John Coltrane, mm. you know, going from Carol King to, you know, Ella Fitzgerald. I just deliberately started doing that. And it was uh, unknowing to me, really getting my music education up. Yeah. I was starting to listen to a lot of things instead of just being pigeonholed in, in one thing. Instead of just yes. Instead of yes. 
Yeah. Of course, Lester Bangs would say, uh, you know who Lester Bangs is? He was a rock critic back in the day. Did you see the movie Almost Famous? Yeah, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Got it. He plays Lester Banks, who's a rock critic for the Village Voice. Yep. And remember, he's in the radio station that day, and he's looking through records. He goes, yes, no. (laughs) 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 Or when he talks about uh, Jethro Tull, he goes, Jethro Tull, it takes him 25 minutes to do what the box tops do in two and a half minutes. But, you know, it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Tolerable. (laughs) Tolerable. (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. Um, so you get this internship mm. and this is your big break. You're my like, break. this is when I need to, I'm going to do what I've been wanting to do my whole life. I'm okay. right there. What happened? I get uh, promoted into the music library. Okay. Because, uh, because again, one of the DJs is sitting in the break in the intern room going through his records and I go, oh, I bet you're going to play that. Then you're going to play that. Then you're going to play that. And the guy was like, Ding, ding, ding. Oh my God. All right. He said, oh, what are you doing back here? You need to be over here. Wow. I said, all right. So I got into the music library and that was really good. And um, I got in there and I thought, I need to get behind the mic. I need to get back there. But it was tough because all these guys were seasoned veterans. All these guys had worked all those places that you're supposed to do. They weren't willing to just give it up to some intern guy. So they let me do some fill ins from time to time. So I would do the uh, early morning, Sunday early show. And Sunday was like public service. It was a uh, a law that you had to devote four hours to public service every week. Like, you know, commercials from the ad council and stories about this. And blah, but there was just a block you had to do. So my thing was to run the tapes for that block. And uh, one day uh, I was running the tape for that block and the guy who was supposed to come in didn't come in. Okay. So I thought, there's a sign there that says, if somebody doesn't come in, I should press the red button on the phone, who's the program director, and get him, because he only lived like three blocks away. I'm sitting there looking at that button. <laughs> I'm looking at the tape, getting ready to run out. And I'm looking at that button. I'm looking at the library. I reach back. So, you know, all right, what can we do here? <laughs> I, pulled out a, I pulled out a Genesis record. Okay. It was, um, uh, the record was Abacab was the album. But there's a song on there I liked, which was a pretty little song called uh, Me and Sarah Jane. I'm like, I'm like a, a rank sentimentalist. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm looking for the, the, the cool love song. So I put it on, I cue it up, and, and I'm looking at that red button. And the tape is going, yes, well, thank you for listening to our program this morning, blah, 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 blah. And my next, my last job is to play the IDs. And then this guy is supposed to come in. Right. Right. So I'm, I look out in the hallway, ain't nobody there but me. Coming. Nobody's coming. I'm looking at the red light. You should press it. You should press it. It became Angel Devil. You should press the red light because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the devil's going, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> the angel is Phil Collins. Yes, that's, that's what that was. So I said, I said, you know what? I think I look at the angel. I said, you know, we'll talk later. <laughs> I said, we're, we're going. So it came, station ID came on. I hit the track. It started playing. I was in heaven. But I'm still cool because as far as the program director, if he's listening, knows the guy is there. Yeah. Because the music is playing. Uh-huh. You know? 
So we get to the end of the set, and I'm like, Hi, <laughs> uh, this is the unknown DJ, and you're listening to blah, 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 and the red light starts bleeping. It's like, hello. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking, you know, I could just not answer this <laughs> and just carry on. But this guy who's on the other end of that phone is the key to my life right now. Yeah. He will determine. Boss, boss yeah, boss. yeah. He's determined whether I will continue here or leave early. So I answered the phone and, and said, yeah, yeah, Dennis, how's it going? He goes, where's Mark? I go, I don't, I don't know. He's not here. He said, he didn't call it. Nope. Calling. I goes, all right, I'll be there. I'll be there in 45 minutes. I go, what should I do? He goes, just play records, but don't talk. Oh, no. But you were picking such good songs. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I say, you know what? This is the time that I get to impress this guy. Uh-huh. So I'm talking. You know, so we play some more songs and blah, blah, blah. That was a Rolling Stones song that was waiting on a friend. You know, that was shot on St. Mark's Place in Manhattan at, at 392 St. Mark's. A lot of people don't know that. Two doors down from there is where they shot the cover of Led Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti. I just knew this. Those factoids, that voice. How could the program director be mad? He came in. Uh, the guy who was supposed to show up had overslept. He showed up. And they were like, thank you. And the program director looked at me like, mm, okay. <laughs> all right like i see you took the angel off your shoulder yeah, and yeah i see you i see you you're one of those guys you you took a chance that's how i'm looking at it you took a chance you thought this could end badly for you but you took a chance and i did and um and then i started getting some uh fill-ins on the weekend i would do uh usually at night i would fill in so for it somebody. paid off it, it did it did but it didn't get me a show a yeah. show yeah. like my own show yeah. i would fill in a lot and everything, and then uh, down the line, uh, it got good. But then, one of the guys who I worked with, um, we both developed a very severe um, southern comfort problem. Hmm. And uh, and um, but he had a show, so it, <laughs> I didn't have a show. So it actually was really kind of dumb for me to to join him. I thought I was bonding, and maybe he would help me out down the road, but. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. And, and then one day, um, we were doing something and, uh, someone in the programming office forgot to do something. And, uh, they asked me about it. I said, Oh, no, no, that's programming. I said, All right. They said, Okay. And they went away. Two minutes later, the head of the office came in, grabbed me, literally dragged me down the hall and just ripped me a new one for ratting her out. Oh, wow. And I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm from the, the, the notion that if you're supposed to do something and you don't do it and they ask me what happened to it, I'm supposed to tell them what happened to it. I'm yeah. from that club. I you guys won't even give me a show. Yeah, I'm not going to cover yeah, your asses. Yeah, yeah, you guys are like, you guys want more from me than you're willing to give. So, uh, and then that afternoon when I was sitting in, in the music library, the kinks, better things came oh, on gosh. and I just knew that was that. At the end of that song, that was it for me. And that's what happened. And, uh, when that song faded out, uh, the general manager, who hardly spoke to anybody ever, was standing in the doorway of the music office. And I just knew that, okay, that's that. And then... Uh, so, 
Billy told me this story before we went on the air, which is <laughs> it might be a little confusing to follow, but no one told him he was going to be fired. Nobody he was played him. out via a song on live out. radio. <laughs> the real, the real played out. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were played off stage. Yes, they say, <laughs> yes. and they played the song "The Kinks, Better Things," and you were walked out that day. That, that was, was it? it. That was for it. just kind of telling on someone who shouldn't have been. Yeah, who, who just yeah. Were, were just innocently yeah. thinking, saying, "Hey, no, I'm not. That's somebody else's gig." Wow, you know. So uh, I left, and then I I became very, very. Uh, then that sadness came back. So I'm I'm ingesting this experience, and it's like that. You had one big moment in the radio station where you knew you were taking a risk and it was, you could have gotten in trouble. You could have gotten kicked out and you decided to take that risk very knowingly and it paid off. And then the thing that ended up being your downfall was like total bullshit and out of your control anyway. And who would have even known that would happen? Even, I mean, that was not a thing that even thought. I just thought this is what you do. Hey, you know, where's the sponge? It's in the closet over there. Okay. (laughs) Just the littlest thing can be your downfall. So, Maybe if you're my my the moral I'm taking away from this is go ahead and take a risk because if it's not that that gets you, it'll be it may be, be something some else. other weird thing. And yeah. It's always something, always some uh, yes, you know, like you said, always some BS. <laughs> That's the stuff you got to watch out for. Is the BS. Yeah. <laughs> so the sadness came back because you felt like you had your one chance to participate in this yes. thing that was important to you yes. and you lost it and i lost it and i knew a guy who worked at their competitor okay so i thought i'll show them i'll go there uh-huh but when i got there he was kind of uh the me of that place okay so got or, it or so he you- not you're not getting it and he he uh, he also he had a problem with uh he had a problem with drugs so i would go to his house and do massive amounts of drugs trying to bond and the only thing i got was a bad drug habit. <laughs> uh, so this is the second instance of you kind of just hoping to get in good with someone who could yeah. help you out yes and, and landing and, yourself in the wrong place yes, and getting in the wrong place and uh that went on for a while and, and i i uh my, my next big thing was after just wallowing in my own crap for a while was um the opening of a record store in Manhattan called Tower. Tower. Yes. Heard of it. <laughs> How did you get involved in that? I was uh I was bopping around and I'd uh, become kind of a denizen of the East Village, and I was just so you were in Long Island in the radio station. I was Long Island, back to Queens, and then um, into Manhattan. I used to to come into Manhattan on the weekends, mm-hmm. but initially, as far as I got, was like Times Square. Okay. And one day I fell asleep on the train mm-hmm. and I woke up on West 4th Street. Okay. And when I woke, came up, I was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> Are you serious with I'm that serious. story I'm right serious. now? I'm serious. First of all, most people, when they fall asleep on the train, they fall asleep for an hour and they wake up in Coney Island yeah. or yeah. Yeah. in like Canarsie. Yeah. But you fell asleep for a stop or two and yeah. ended up in the West Village or yeah. Greenwich Village. Yeah. Are you for real with that story? Well, I, if you hadn't fallen asleep on the train, you never would have discovered. I don't. I, I think I would have probably still been walking around Times Square, going, "Wow, it's 
Things have changed. Aww. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, so I got so off. What and walk, do you see? I walk on it and I see, and I see, um, my friend puts this in a great way. He says, a lot of lost personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Still like that, kind of. Yeah. So I got off. I thought, this is me. So that's how I ended up there. And um, so I uh, would bop around. I, I did the whole thing with living in squats and, uh, you know, hanging out with the skinheads and, and the punkers. And those days I had dreads. Oh, yeah? Yes, I had dreads in those days. So, so I had my coolness card intact. Huh. Not a lot of people mess with me because they just thought, oh, yeah, all right. You know? like, this guy, this is a guy with dreads, but yeah. he listens to yeah, Elton yeah, John. Yeah, he's, like, he's a we very weird person, so he fits right in. Cool. You know? And so I did that, and um, I think I was wandering around on Broadway when when it was a different kind of Broadway, and, uh, you know, opening soon, Tower Records, and I said, all right, and uh, record store, I know enough about music to work in a record store. Oh, yeah. But I... I didn't. I didn't do it when they when they initially opened. I was still. I was working in other record stores. I worked at a at a Corvette's record store in Flushing Queens. I worked at not rec- quite the name recognition. No, no, it's <laughs> kind of like it's like a department store, right? But uh, and then I worked in all these little little uh, record stores and stuff. And then one day, uh, you know, I was in the city and I thought, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I walked in. It was overwhelming. I mean, just music, records, tapes, everything, everywhere. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder who runs this place. Uh-huh. And I found the guy who runs the place, and he was this guy who was like a, a big Cheap Trick fan. Okay. So I thought, all right, we're in, because I know Cheap Trick. I know everything about him, right? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So we got going downstairs, we had to take a test. Okay. And the only thing wow. I remember about that test is the first question was, name three labels that the Beatles recorded for. You're like, easy. And I thought, man, oh, man, I saw I'll go outside, smoke a cigarette, get a slice of pizza, have a soda, hang around, you know, and then walk back in. And it's <laughs> just like, that's how, this was, too, yeah. this was too easy. And then uh, some other questions, he goes, oh, okay, when can you start? I said, I'll start right now. And uh, it was cool. He wanted me to work the, the morning shift. And at that, this point, I was uh, a late night person. Okay. So I couldn't make it. Gone were your days of 8 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, all that was yep. gone. And now, so then they put me on a, a shift at noon, but I'm a night person. And noon was kind of when I was waking up. So I thought, man, I'm going to I'm gonna blow this. Mm. I'm going to blow this great store, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, you know, we have a we have a 4 to midnight shift. Would you be interested in that? I was like, dan, 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 dan. <laughs> like nah. lucky. I'm telling you. So I ended up doing that for a few years um it, it, it was i still think it was the best job ever yeah i it mean the best job to think of the young you who was like watching the beatles on tv and feeling so like you weren't part yes. of something yes. and then to yes. be part of like it our city's greatest thing. Thing. like our great the yeah, greatest thing our best you know? achievement wow yes. that's uh, really special it was it was it was incredible and uh um i got married twice out of that store really yes well, tell me more <laughs> i met uh i met um my first wife she was uh she worked for um sas you know the airline okay swedish airlines oh i didn't know yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> it was just so funny she just, she just walked in it was kind of one of those uh was that 
almost love at first sight. Okay. Yes. I got you. And um, so we just hit it off. And and, uh, and the reason that I'm not married to her still, because she, I still think she's one of the greatest people I've ever known, is that she wanted me to move to Stockholm. Wow. You said no? I said no. You know what they got? They have health care over there. I know. I, I mean, I didn't they know all that you. stuff. I didn't know all of that stuff, right? Well, you didn't know how bad it'd get here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think, yeah, things would get here. So, uh, so that happened. And then a year after I got divorced, I met uh, my second wife. Wait, 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 yeah, wait. Yeah, go. We really need to talk about this. you want to talk this. about this? Okay. Can you imagine if you had <laughs> said yes and you were... Like, you'd be in Sweden right yes, now. You'd right be now. a Swedish citizen. I would be, and that would be, like, awesome, right? Wow. That would be so great. I hate to ask people about regrets, but do you regret that? I, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. So what What made you not want to do that? I don't know. You know what? I think, I think it was kind of a, I felt like I was coming into my own. Hmm. You know? You were really liking your job. I was liking my job. I was liking myself. I was liking everything that was happening in my life, and I just uh, just the idea of of starting over again just was not appealing to me at yeah, all. Yeah, there's no Beatles in Sweden. No, yeah. no, and then and, and you know, there's I don't know if they have a tower over there. I know they have a Hard Rock Cafe, but <laughs> <laughs> but they don't they're have still a, on Jethro Tull in yeah, Scandinavia. Yeah, they're still yeah, they're still uh, they're still at the 80th uh, Yes Farewell oh, tour over there, I think, but. <laughs> But that was that was that. So that she uh she wasn't willing to uh to move here. She had a, she had a great job, so Right. So uh and she was based in Stockholm, so she wasn't gonna do that. Say la vie, I guess. And yeah. what about marriage number two? Marriage number two was to a woman from Paris. Oh, you yeah. have a type. Oh well, yeah, well <laughs> is that, is that, okay, we'll talk about it. Anyway. Um yeah, and we I met her at the uh at the at the same bar. Okay. That I met you know, that I hung out with my first wife. That was really cool. It was, it was all right. And she was really great. And what was I, the bar that was, it was all called, the tower it was, people? It was called the Cactus Cafe. Wow. It was right off of uh, Broadway and Third Street, I think. Yeah, a little tiny little place, Mexican cantina kind of a deal. Huh. You know, lots of uh, Dos Equis and tequila. Yeah. And, and we used to make mixtapes for them. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so every day they had all this great music that played all the time. Did you love the people you worked with there? Oh, absolutely. Like Except family. one guy. But okay. Absolutely, everybody. Shout loved, out that guy. And they had uh, in-stores, so I met a lot of people who made music and stuff like that. It was, it was I just thought, you can't beat this. This is, I you know, I want to die, like, in the shipping and receiving department. Bury me in Tower Records. <laughs> they just bury me. They just throw me down the elevator shaft. I don't care, you know, wow. just to say I'm in here. So uh, my second wife, she was, uh, and and through this, I got to, that was how I got to go to Paris. Okay. Because I went to meet her her parents and everything. And, uh, you know, her her dad, they, they, her mom spoke a little English, so me and her mom got on really well. But me and her dad, her dad didn't speak English at all. But we did have a common language, beer. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So we would just drink beer. Ah, hello, hello. <laughs> that was a very French beer guzzling sound. Yeah. You just guzzled beer with a French accent. <laughs> I was, I was like, kind of like, you know, get, that, get the uh, aroma, the scent, the whole night and everything. And, and that was good. And then. Um, did she want to move to Paris? 
No, she she uh, in New York. she she lived in New York. She had her own place in New York. I moved into her place, you know, and that was pretty cool. And and I mean, everything was going swimmingly. And then um, and then some bizarre stuff started happening. I started uh, this is where it gets really sad. I, um, I didn't want to be married anymore. Okay. You know, and um. <laughs> It was it was just so insane. It was like I think I was still coming into me, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why I said yes to doing it, but I felt like I was still not sure of who I was, and I was still growing into that. You know, so I got so I got really bad, and then uh, and then the uh, then the alcohol intake started to rise, and you know, and the uh, and the drugs started to, to join them, and and I just was like out of my mind. Hmm. And um, I mean, I was my thing in my head. I was living the East Village, Jack Kerouac, Charles Bukowski thing, yeah. just totally out of control. You know, unfortunately, um, I didn't write any of that stuff down. That would have made some interesting books, but I was living that, and so um, so that was divorce number two. Got it. Yeah. You can't have, you can't be Jack Kerouac without the, without the stream of consciousness. You cannot. Novels. Yeah. You cannot. You cannot. You can't even tell people that, 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 uh, you're a writer. Did you ever want to be a writer? Yes. I, I actually still write to this day. Uh, I love writing. It's just one of my greatest joys. It's just jot stuff down. I have a, one of those little, uh, Kindle fires, which is really great. And they have a thing mm. where you can just like go for hours. I love writing. When one day I may, I may uh, subject people to it. I don't know. <laughs> you should. I'm sure you have so many stories up your oh, sleeve. Oh boy. When, so when this sort of addiction phase of your life was happening, was, what were you connecting this to your sadness from before? Did you understand that it was all sort of part of the same? Well, it was. It was weird because the sadness was, came back. Yeah, you know, it it, it was like it was. I mean, it was like uh, was that little peanuts character walked around with a little cloud above his head. Mm. I felt like that all the time, and I couldn't and I couldn't drink my way out of it. I couldn't drug my way out of it, and I just I just kept going. And uh, eventually, I had to you know I I ran away. I ran away to California. I always think <laughs> where where. People go to solve all their problems. Which is it? There's something this, about California. This is where New Yorkers go to make all the problems in their life go away. And that's what happens. You go to California, yeah. you run into all these New Yorkers who have escaped to New York. With their problems still, exactly. as it turns out. With so the what happened? What happened in California? Well, California was, was fun. I moved. I went to San Francisco. So I liked San Francisco. I uh, I liked the fact that it was small. You know, the San Francisco proper is seven miles by seven miles, so mm. you could walk it. Yeah. It was great. It had everything I liked. Weather was great. They had um, they had the City Lights bookstore, which is where all those guys, Ginsburg and Kerouac and all the great poets came out of that bookstore. And I was just loving it. I just, just I feel it. like you, your first loves were music and books. Yeah. And you t- did music in New York and now you're over here thinking about books. Thinking about books again. You know? What and, were you up to there? Oh, I did a lot of things. I worked in, I worked in a, um, I worked in a, a new age bookstore. Okay. And that was insane. Because it was like it was like everybody that walked in there talked like that. 
Yeah, I and, can only imagine. You know, and I'm from and I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. And it was like, oh man, you know what? You really there's something about your aura that's just not working today. <laughs> and in my mind, I was going, there's something about a left hook that'll take you right out of that. <laughs> <laughs> like, ma'am, your book is eleven ninety five. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, have an aura. <laughs> exactly. Pay yeah. up and get out. That yeah. was my thing. That's a really stark difference. Yes. Wow. I did that. I did uh Starbucks out there. I worked at Starbucks. In, uh, in San Francisco, which was kind of kind of interesting, um, I just found it interesting to see people standing online getting double espressos with yoga mats. And there's <laughs> something very bizarre about that. I said, "You mean so? Uh, now that you have peace of mind, you need a coffee?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I, I, I, I I'm from New York. <laughs> I, We're just gonna skip the yoga and do the espresso." <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we just go right to the coffee shop, yeah. and we, you know. You know, all the money we save on the mat and the clothes, you know, we really? could buy more coffee with it. Yes, I did that for a while, but then the sadness again. And uh, so I came back to New York, came back to New York. I got some help. I got some help with all that stuff because I had no idea what uh, what to do about it. How did you decide to get help? Well, I, I thought somebody must know something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, so uh, I talked to a guy and he was, he was, had been through the same thing that I had. And uh, he was an artist. And um, I said, well, you know, what do I need to do? He goes, well, here's what I did. You know, he started, uh, he got involved in the 12-step thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, more hippie, dippy mm -hmm. nonsense. You know, uh, I don't know. And uh, he said, no, well, he said, well, you know me. I go, yeah, I know you. And you're not, you're not a hippie, dippy guy. He's from Jersey, right? He, I'm not a hippie, dippy guy. Said, Solid East Coast kind of yeah, people. I yeah, I need that, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, so I'm going to follow you. So I followed him around for a while. He did some stuff, did some 12-step work, uh, did a lot of did therapy. Um, the whole nine got a lot of stuff out. And amazingly, um, this therapist, I don't remember her name, but she said something to me that really gave me hope. She said, you are not going to be in therapy with me for two years. He said, we're going to get this done. Wow. Efficient. Yeah. True I, East Coast mentality. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get this done and then you're going to go live your life. Wow. So I did. And, um, and it was really amazing. I mean, really good. A lot of stuff. And my friend, uh, from Jersey helped out tremendously and everything. And I decided, okay, so now here I am. I'm feeling pretty good about stuff. I don't know what to do about anything now. Yeah, it's like when you define your, your, all like all the things you loved were tied in with sadness. We're tied in with that. Yeah, you know. So I said, "All right, so here's here's the big moment." I was talking to a friend of mine. She's an artist, and she um she was having a block. Okay. But she's a painter. She goes, oh, no, "I just can't do. I can't paint." And this is where this is the glory of reading a lot of books <laughs> comes in. <laughs> I'd read this book about this guy who's an artist who said that uh, whenever he got into blocks, he would have a thing where he would do 30 paintings in 30 days. Oh, wow. And me, I have a story about art that ended a long time ago. I gave it up because uh, I was in, in art class and we were painting and somebody said something bad and it just took it from me. So I never painted again. I always wanted to, though. So I said, okay. So I tell my friend, I said, you know what? You know what, Rebecca? We're going to do 30 paintings in 30 days. You and me. Uh-huh. He said, okay, that's good. 
I can do that. I go, no, but there's a catch. There's a catch. I said, we have to post them online. Oh, wow. We got to put them on Facebook. Uh-huh. But we're not doing it for judgment. We're just get, trying to get back into the, the gig of working. Uh-huh. And I hadn't paid in years. So I found a little piece of cardboard. I made this little kind of thing, design thing. And I posted it and she posted hers. And the next day when I went online to look, there were all these comments under my little postcard. Wow, this is really good. Oh my God, this is amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And at the very end, the last post said, this is good. Is it for sale? Wow. And I was like, yep. Yeah, it is now. And everything. <laughs> but, but I kept painting. Uh-huh. Even after she stopped. Because now, the happy was back. Wow. I was like, whoa, that thing's been stagnant for, for like decades. But every time I would sit down in pain, it would be like, I would just feel like like everything was possible. Mm. Like everything good was possible. I would just kept painting every day. I would paint, 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 paint. And um, this went on for a few years. I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm five and a half years in painting. And two years ago, uh, a friend of mine who's a painter, she said, oh, you know, we really like your stuff, but you know, you can't keep it in your house all the time. Maybe you should show. I said, well, I have an art page on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I did a, a Sachi art page and I'm just doing what people told me to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did that. She goes, well, you know what? There's um Greenpoint has an art show where they do once a month where they, I was like, an art show. <laughs> what are you like? Insane. Because I'm not a real artist. Okay. And she goes, you should send it anyway. She uh-huh. sent pictures. I was like, nah. So the, the night before the, the uh, uh, deadline, I sent in some pictures of my work and I get an email the next day. I said, yes, you've been accepted to the Greenpoint Art Show, wow. blah, 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 blah. And I was like. So suddenly you're a working artist. Yes. So then I, I feel myself and now da, 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 I started painting and, and that, and that's what I, and so now I'm doing, I'm, <laughs> I'm an artist uh-huh. and a radio show host. <laughs> yes. Wow. I'm I'm loving that uh, you described in your childhood not getting pushed mm. in the right directions, mm. and then mm. and then this ca- this part of your career, your art career, is thanks to like some nice nudges. Yeah, it's like it's like every now and then a little like you should do that. Yeah, you I'm know? glad that life brought that to you later it's, on it's than most people. Yeah, you know what? I I have to realize in retrospect, I always believe I've been a late bloomer. Yeah, like everything happened later. You know, it's kind of like uh, even you know all the uh, the birds and the bees stuff that kids mm-hmm. talk about when everyone's like, "Yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that." I go, "Yeah, me too," and I'd be like, "I don't even know what they're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, you know, so and so liked you. Oh, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> never heard of it never heard of, i don't know what that what, what what's the next like afraid to ask so now what do i do yeah you know because you want to be a part of it you know without seeming like you don't know anything but i'm now went through um 20 years of not knowing anything wow and like, here you are kind yeah. of embarking on new beginnings yeah it's kind of like it's like everything is happening now it was it was so uh but you know what? It's, you know, you know, when you ever say, uh, like you get older, you say, man, if I knew all that stuff then, mm-hmm. and I get the feeling that if I knew all this stuff then, it probably would have done me no good. I've been so afraid because that, because that with the sadness was 
fear. I was afraid of everything, of doing anything, of letting anybody see anything, of being open to anybody because I was always afraid. And I don't, and like I said, I have no idea where this came from because since I wasn't opening up to anybody, the chance of getting hurt was zero. Yeah. But I still thought if I tell somebody that I'm afraid or I'm still a virgin or I don't know what that is, they're yeah. going to like rip my heart out or something. I don't know where that came from. But it, it was there for a long time. And then, you know, then one day, you know, all that crazy stuff happened in the middle and, you know, and, and uh, carrying on. And then next thing I know, it come out on this side and I'm sitting at home one day and, you know, Rena? Yeah. Does, yeah, she, me and her worked at Tower Records together. Oh, wow. Yes. And she was here, and she's like, you know, I'm doing this thing, Radio Free Brooklyn. I was like, oh, yeah, radio, yeah. I'm in past life. Yeah, I think I'm going to pass on that. And she's like, no, you should you should do it. I was like, oh, all right. So I, I taped it in, and then they called me in, and I was in shock again. And I, and I started having the flashbacks about radio last time. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then, I don't know, you can do whatever you want. You can play whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Blah, blah, blah. This I was like, beautiful place I that like, gives everyone a platform. That's an incredible story, Billy. I got to yeah. stop you there. Okay. Because we've landed at your Bushwick, Bushwick Junction. Oh, all um, right. We also have some credits to do real quick. All right. Uh, go to my web, to my Facebook page or email me, org if you have any questions about the show. Theme song is by Nation of Language. They're having a show this week. Look them up. Um, they're great. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is launching an after-school program for teenagers in 2019 to learn media literacy. Uh, please donate to that if you are so inclined at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash afterschool. Donations are tax-deductible. That's all I got for you. We'll, hear, we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>